He said, I haven't got a question to ask. I just have a statement. I'm blind. He says, Jesus, please let me see this film. Bang. He says, from the opening credits to the closing scenes, I saw every bit of that documentary in perfect colour. The effect that it had on his whole family who knew he was blind, when they heard his story, because they know he's for real, they all converted. The stigmata, what is that? Well, it is the wounds of Christ appearing in someone, usually the hands and the feet and the side. In fact, the first occurrence of this might have been right in apostolic times. If you read St. Paul's writing, he actually says it in the book of Galatians. He says, and I'll quote it for you. He says, From henceforth, let no man be troublesome to me, for I bear the marks of the Lord Jesus in my body. Now, it could have been referring to other things, of course. You know, he was whipped for the Lord and so on and so forth. So he had a lot of marks, surely, on his body. But he uses, as Taylor Marshall points out in one of his shows, the word stigmata. So there's that possibility that St. Paul, the apostle, or the apostle to the Gentiles, himself had the stigmata. But the first recorded case of the stigmata was with St. Francis of Assisi, who lived, of course, in the 1200s. Now, that stigmata, he said to have received the wounds of Christ in his hands and in his feet and in his side um, a couple of years before his death. But this was widely recorded. In fact, there's a witness to this in Pope Alexander IV. And so you have eyewitnesses of that caliber giving this testimony. And it didn't only happen to men. In fact, St. Catherine of Siena, a saint who lived in the 1300s, she too experienced the stigmata as well. In fact, in more modern times, there's a very well-known case of the stigmata in Padre Pio, or St. Pio of Petroclina. He went for decades having suffered, and it is a suffering, the stigmata. He wore, as you probably remember, those brown gloves with the fingers out so that he could not bleed all over the place. And of course, it was a distraction for people and for him as well. But he had many, many doctors examine him at the behest of religious superiors and so on. And surely he suffered uh, with this uh, manifestation, this bleeding which happened. And very strange stuff, I'm sure, for many, many people. But what it is, is a representation of the wounds of Christ. These very good men and women suffered um, and suffered joyfully in union with Christ. So it is a uniting of oneself with the suffering of Christ. Um, and that's what the saints and that's what we are all called to do. But it's actually very common, um, more common, interestingly, in women than in men. Theresa Neumann, who's very well known as a mystic in Germany, uh, experienced the stigmata. The visionary that many of us have been talking about uh, because of her visions of the future, Marie-Julie Jahani, also had the stigmata, as did one of the new saints, uh, sainted in 2019, uh, first uh, beatified by Pope Benedict XVI in 2009. Her name was Miriam Theresia Shiramel. She's from Kerala in India. She too had the stigmata. So these are... Uh, mysterious wounds of Christ on people, and uh, it's very hard to argue with them because they've been witnessed so many times. Now, some people think, oh, people have inflicted it upon themselves, and they're using some kind of acid to burn holes into themselves and so on. Well, there is a fascinating filmmaker by the name of Ron Tesoriero, who was a lawyer, filmmaker, documentary maker, who really gave himself to the study of things of the faith, of these mysteries of the faith. We've got him here to talk to. He did something totally fascinating. He was intrigued by a case of stigmata, or alleged stigmata. And he took with him a very skeptical um, mainstream media reporter from Australia by the name of Mike Willesey. Some of you may even remember the results of their program, because it was aired on NBC in front of some oh, 28 million people, it was called Signs from God. We're going to review his research, his findings, 
and speak with the man behind it all. Stay tuned for this episode of The John Henry Weston Show. Hey there, friends. I just wanted to tell you about something in case you didn't already know it. LifeSite is in partnership with a group called St. Joseph's Partners because in today's day and age where things are getting more and more strange out there, we want to be sure that you know we have some reserves of gold and silver so that if debanking happens, which has happened before and, and seems to have gone on with the truckers and everything else, that we at least have some backup. Um, and so there's been a lot of investing in gold and silver. We wanted to find a company, though, that we could trust with our investments like that. And St. Joseph's Partners is such a company. Obviously, by their name, you know that they're Catholics, and we know that they're very, very faithful indeed. You can go check out the shows I did with Drew Mason, who is the founder of St. Joseph's Partners. But also, I wanted to tell you about a neat little project we did. And this is really for both support of LifeSite News, but also for gifts for those people who sort of have everything and you wonder what you can get for them. Well, we minted a coin, uh, a silver coin, and it's a one ounce silver round, they call it. It has uh, LifeSite on the front for our 25 year anniversary that we're celebrating, but also on the back, it commemorates the overturning of Roe v. Wade with the Dobbs decision. So it's a collector item coin and uh, encourage you to grab one for yourself. Grab one as a gift for that person who seems to have everything else. They might like it very much. And uh, please support us at LifeSite News by getting our coin. Uh, we've just printed under 10,000 of them. So it's a collector item, limited edition. God bless you and thank you. So Ron, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, John Henry, and for the opportunity to be able to speak to you. Praise God. Well, let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So, Ron, tell us a little bit about yourself, because this is so fascinating what you've done, and, uh, you know, you've made massive impact throughout the world already. But that's a number of years ago right now, so it, it definitely is worth repeating. But how in the world did you get to filmmaking from being a lawyer in the first place? I suppose it all started in my legal office many years ago when a priest came in and said, um, can you help me? Um, I want to build a church and a school. I have no money. I have no land. Um, and um, he said, well, I've, I've been praying that I get this land to be able to do all this. And I've been kneeling on the ground and putting a relic of this a saint up on the tree. And um, that's what I've done. And I said, well, well, that's not the way we do things in our legal world. I need to know who, who owns the land, where it is. Um, what the zoning is, and you've got to have money, and you have none of those. Anyhow, to cut a long story short, he prayed for a miracle, and it happened, and I witnessed it. And then I, then I began to think, this is quite amazing. Is, is this just coincidence, or does God, did God hear that man's prayer? And when I asked him that question, did you really think that when you prayed for a miracle like this, it would happen? And he said to me, you know, he said, the God that made this world hasn't lost his powers. And if I'm working for him and I haven't got the means to do his work, he has to step in and do it. And it occurred to me, he didn't go to a parish council meeting, go to the bank, go to a money lender. He went to God. He knelt on the ground like a peasant, prayed to a God he couldn't see for the impossible, and it happened. And then, then I began to wonder, is God an interventionist God? Does he step into this world, hear prayers, and... and um, act in the way in other cases like he did with this priest. And then I began to study more about whether God does intervene, like the story of Fatima. Um, as a lawyer, looking back, you know, I couldn't believe that this claim of 70,000 people witnessed some of the most colossal events since the time of Christ's resurrection occurring in our times, and no one's talking about it. And why? Is there something about the witnesses' testimony that was failing? Why doesn't the church talk about it? And that concerned me that we seem to have lost um, this concept that God might intervene and there may be able to be verifiable um, uh, information to be able to tell it's happened. So I then began to study um, cases that have claimed um, mystical phenomena in our world today. And with science advances the way it has, we were able to look at things in a more detailed way than they would have been done before. And so when there were claims of people having apparitions, I wanted to know what happens in their brain. Why are they seeing things that we don't see? 
why they're hearing things that we don't hear, is the brain acting in, in, a, in, a, in an abnormal sort of way to reflect this behaviour. So then it went on from there to other things. I uh, heard about the statue of Christ crying and believing, bleeding in Bolivia. And, you know, no one ever takes these things seriously. They think that perhaps, you know, this is all just a hoax. And that's the mainstream media's view. But the question was, have we used the, the best of science to be able to examine what the claim is? Is it blood? Is, is it, does it have genetic material? I mean, that story of the statue, which you know about from my book and from my documentaries, um, is an incredible story. And it's part of a mosaic of things that have happened in recent times that all have a meaning. But the most important story, I think, that we did, well, there's two very important stories, which we'll come to later, namely the Eucharistic Miracle of Buenos Aires, which I was privileged to have been able to do the investigation on for now 20 years. But when it came to this story of um, mystics and whether uh, God is intervening in our world, I was introduced to a person in Bolivia called Cartier Rivas. She claimed to have been receiving messages from Jesus and, and she claimed to have had the stigmata. Um, I interviewed her. <clears throat> I was impressed by her. I, I interviewed her spiritual director. And I got some footage of um, when she had the, the stigmata on a previous occasion. I looked at that. I interviewed the witnesses who were there. And I thought, this, this sounds like a plausible story. I, you know, back in Australia, I am um, the, the lawyer for, uh, was a lawyer for, now he's passed away, the Australia's most notable forensic uh, but most notable investigative journalist, who's like was a household name in this country for many years, what he said, people believed him. He was he was regarded as being the man you got when you've got a difficult story and you want to find the truth. Now I approached him with this story of what was happening in in Bolivia with this person, and his reaction was, look, he wasn't even prepared to look at the footage. He says, look, these things don't happen. You know, he says, I've done stories like this. There's always another explanation. Um, you know, the, these things just don't happen. I said, Mike, you, um, and that is personal name, Mike, Mike Willisy. Everyone in Australia knows him. He said to me, uh, um, you know, these things don't happen. And I said to him, you know, you've got a reputation for being able to present a story based upon your examination and you present the truth. Here, you don't even want to look at the evidence and you proffer an explanation. How many other stories in your uh, journalistic career have you treated that way? And I said, why don't you at least look at the facts and then tell me what you think? And I said, better still, prove me wrong. Well, that struck a spark in him. He decided, I've got to check this thing out. So he came with me to Bolivia and I introduced him to this person. While we were there, um, you know, Jesus relates, speaks to her and, um, and this is something that's hard to believe. And um, I might just interpose this thing, you know, you know, we look at the history of the saints in our Catholic history, and we see people like St. Catherine of Siena, Padre Pio, St. Francis, and um, they've had extraordinary experiences. And we often think to ourselves, wouldn't it have been great to have been there in those times to see these people, to witness what they experience, to see what happens when Jesus or God the Father is right at dictating to St. Catherine of Siena volumes of profound theology, which ended up being something that cured the church of its time. But I've been able to do this with this modern day mystic, film it as she's being receiving dictation, with with messages to humanity of the same the same caliber as St. Catherine of Siena. But at this stage I've in, I introduced Mike Willis to her and um, she says to, through her to this journalist, Mike, I've given you many talents um, and I want you to use them for me. Um, I want a program made and he explained more about that program. And he says, Carty will have the stigmata, not today. It will happen in two months time on the day after the Feast of Corpus Christi. Now, can you imagine this? We're actually filming someone predicting they're going to have the stigmata. And who was speaking to her who she was relating. Jesus was speaking to her. Jesus is speaking to Cadia Rivas. And he's talking to you in real time as you're filming. Uh, real time. Real time. So he, he tells him, this, this, this stigmata is going to happen on a certain day in the future. We'll film that prediction. And he said, well, if this story is for real, 
I'll give you two hours on American television to tell this story. You're telling us that this person is going to have this stigmata in real time, in two months' time, and we can go there with our cameras and every investigative person we want and examine it as it happens from beginning to end. And Mike says, that's what she says. So that became the program. Um, they took, he took it on. But what was amazing was that Mike himself was not, um, he was Catholic by birth, but not by practice. In fact, had abandoned the faith. And so this was quite a challenge for him, this whole idea that God might be uh, presenting himself in this world today in this most, most unique sort of way. I, I don't think there's ever been a case where someone has predicted the happening of a supernatural event and predicted the fulfillment of that prediction. I don't know. It would be really nice, for example, in the story of Fatima, if someone had filmed the children receiving the message saying, three days' time, three months' time, this is going to happen here, and then it happens. Here we had that opportunity. And it was it was something that could potentially have exposed every weakness in this person's story, that we would be able to see from nothing, this thing might occur over three hours, and uh, April to go away after it's finished. Well, as you probably have gathered from looking at the material I presented, we were there with the cameras rolling, um, probably the best of Australian 60 minutes cameraman and sound man in the room. I'd instructed the cameraman to click his camera to real time, not tape time, so that we could analyse afterwards exactly what happened in what time over the period, because the camera wouldn't have been rolling for three hours uh, constantly at the breaks, but we want to be able to look at the progression. There were others in the room, and um, the, um, the stigmata began about around about 12 noon. Little tiny dots appeared first you know, around the forehead region as if they were punctured with some thorns. Then a punch mark appears on the face. And then from the fingers, the hands, small red dots, and then they progressively grew in size as the time went on and in sympathy with each other, and on the feet, top and bottom. And if you look at the, the footage that I presented in my book and on the documentary, you will see that these wounds are just not surface wounds, they're deep. They, are, they, they look as if a bolt has been driven through those hands. And during the course of her she demonstrated or exhibited the signs of what those, those pains were doing to her, and almost to the point of death. It was a, 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 an amazing experience for everyone to see. Then the wounds began to heal. And by the next morning, the, the wounds had completely healed beyond what science could ever explain or medical opinion could say. They were completely gone. Normally it would take six weeks to a month for, you know, if you cut yourself and it's quite deep, it doesn't disappear by the next morning. So all of these things that occurred in that experience and, um, it had quite an effect, as it was shown, to about 30-odd million, 29 million people throughout the United States. But the interesting thing is, at the end of that stigmata, Jesus gave her a message and said, I've permitted this to happen so that you may show the world what I suffered in my passion. And when you wind back and think about what, what has happened, God has stepped into our world and said something. Only God could do what we saw. No human being that I'm aware of, can replicate that event to say, um, I, someone could say, I'm, I'm going to have this stigmata in two months' time. Uh, you can fill me now and fill me then. Have it there ready to go. And then have the wounds of the crucifixion appear in the exact locations that of Christ's crucifixion with the degree, the depth, the impact that each of those wounds had and for them to disappear. So God was working and we know that God is not beyond stepping into our world to tell us something from time to time. But the interesting thing about what's happened, the, the person who was crucified 2,000 years and died is talking to someone today and saying, I'm going to let you experience, and who rose from the dead, according to our beliefs, is appearing to someone today and telling them, I'm going to allow you to experience what I experienced, and I want to show the world what I've done what's happened, so that you will believe in me. A very powerful experience. Now, my friend, the journalist, he was placed almost in that position as Thomas was when Jesus appeared to his apostles in that room after the resurrection. 
Thomas didn't believe. So the following week, he calls Thomas in. Okay, Thomas, have a look here. He touches those wounds and proclaims, my Lord and my God. He knew that he'd been killed on the Friday. He knew that he was there alive. He could see the evidence of what they did to him, and he was able to touch them. The world was given the opportunity to be in that same room with Thomas in that experience. And my friend Mike Willis, he also, because after that, he also proclaimed, my Lord and my God. It changed his life. You know how they say, from the fruit you shall know them? This story, this story of the passion of Christ exhibited in the stigmata like that, um, is, is one of those events. We, we've seen stories of the stigmata back at St. Francis's time, Padre Pio's time, but never been able to carry forward that experience to the real world today with the ammunition that we have today to be able to present to the world through television, this story. It was a major story. Um, it goes to the credibility of this person in, in many ways, and it's only just one mosaic in the full picture of this person. So it was a very important story for us and for my journalist friend. Now, this journalist who decided that God wasn't real in his life, after that event, joined me for 20 years working on stories that of presenting my book and the documentaries. Um, he became an active assistant in trying to tell the reality of these stories that God is intervening in our world today and for a reason. But it's, it's, a, um, it's, a, it's a great and powerful story, a first in human history to my knowledge. If someone else can present a similar thing, I'd be keen to know about it and to follow it up. You have this film, so we're going to take a look at some of the clips of that and then when we come back, I'm going to ask you more about Katia Rivas herself. Her name is Katia Rivas from Bolivia. With no theological training, she has now written 80 books of profound theology without error. She says that they are dictated to her by Christ himself. I have filmed her many times when this has been happening. The books explain the Bible and the language of man of today. They tell of the love of God for mankind, the purpose of life, the reality of heaven, the only way that this world will find peace, and much more. We believe that, that it is the Lord himself who, who is speaking, speaking to her. It would be difficult for someone that does not have theological training to be able to uh, memorize or, or to express uh, these uh, theological truths uh, with the simplicity and the directness which uh, are evident in the writings. But also, the writings explain why each of the extraordinary events that I present in the book are happening. Katya also experiences the stigmata, the wounds inflicted on Christ during his crucifixion. When I told investigative journalist Mike Willisy about it, he was skeptical. He wanted to see it for himself and to film it if it happened again. Katya predicted on film the day and time when she would next have the stigmata, two months away. She said that Jesus told her the day it would happen again and that we could film it for all to see. So, Katia, from that message, you completely believe that the day after that Corpus Christi feast day, you will have the stigma. That will give us a lot to think about. Eso nos daría muchísimo para pensar. And also for me, yes. Gracias. Thank you very much. To our surprise, it did happen exactly as she predicted. We filmed the whole event. Welcome to Fox Studios in Los Angeles. What an honor it is to work alongside you. Thanks, Giselle. I understand from all the noteworthy work that you've done over the years where you're renowned for your skepticism and investigative abilities, this is not only different, this project we're about to see has been extraordinary for you. It started seven years ago for me through a lawyer who started this investigation and I simply did not believe most of what he told me. A lot of things have happened since then. 
It's been an extraordinary journey, and I'd like our viewers to join us on that journey. It formed part of a Fox Network special program, Signs from God, that was broadcast to 29 million viewers in the United States alone. Everyone was able to see how from nothing, deep bleeding wounds progressively formed, as if she had been nailed through her hands and her feet, like in the crucifixion of Christ. She suffered pain. At 3 p.m. the wounds began to heal. By the next morning they had completely healed, contrary to medical opinion. Now, I don't believe any microsurgeon in the world could heal those wounds so smoothly in less than 24 hours. The back of this hand, this is just after 24 hours later from the start of the day, nothing that you can see. This hand, two crosses. On the palms, nothing. Mm. What do you say when you see something like that, mate? Just the same. Well, it's... Medically, that's impossible. From what we saw yesterday, it is quite impossible for those wounds to heal like that. And if you look at the feet also, Ron, you'll see where I was taking blood yesterday. And also you notice, if you look closely, that the wounds have healed in a most unusual manner. They draw in. It's almost like something in internally draws it all together from the inside. And summing up yesterday, what would you say? God was present. It was amazing. Just a quick note before we return. If you would like to stay up to date on LifeSite's coverage of the latest life, family, and culture news, subscribe to one of our many newsletters by going to lifesitenews.com slash subscribe. And if you'd like to help us bring our truth-telling coverage to millions around the world, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation at give.lifesitenews.com. And now, back to the video. This is fascinating. She was able to... Um, have this, predict this, our Lord used her directly to show the world through you and through Mike, um, you know, the reality of his crucifixion, the wounds that, that he suffered for us. I think particularly now as we uh, are entering into Lent, this is an important, even beautiful time to learn again this message. But what else? What about Katya Rivas? I mean, obviously our Lord is using her, but you mentioned she, like Catherine of Siena, who incidentally too was uh, not all that well educated, yet wrote like, uh, well, the doctor of the church that she is. But, you know, what is in the writings of Katya Rivas? What is our Lord saying to us through her? Well, she's now written 80 books of theology, profound theology. Um, when theologians look at it, they say this could not possibly be written by a person who has no theological training. There's, there are, there are, in parts of the messages, there are references to the Old Testament, to the New Testament, by chapter and verse, comparing the different, the, the, the what's revealed in one to the other, and, and helping us understand the, the relationship between the Old and the New Testament. There are uh, profound passages um, on the on the Eucharist, upon the Sacred Heart. Name a topic, and I can pull out a, a profound message about it. But I've been present whilst this has been happening, I put the camera focused on her writing um, because I, I was of the view that no one will possibly believe this could happen in this world, someone could do all this. But with the camera present and watching her write, starting with a blank page, writing the first sentence, the next sentence, paragraph, paragraph, page, page, not moving the pen from the paper, not, not stopping to think, and then go from page, and so I did this for one hour, filming her, her writing like this. Profound theology. And what makes me realize it's not the product of a super memory, someone who's been able to commit to memory pages and pages of theology, is that sometimes we might, be, might have been talking about some subject, and Jesus interrupts and then explains it for me, using historical references to it, talking about, you know, uh, what happened at the time of the 16th century during 
the time in the French Revolution and the killing of the priests, et cetera, et cetera, or about the, the history of the rosary that, you know, you quite, haven't quite got it wrong. It really started this way, and it wasn't the 7th of October, it was the 8th of October. However, this is the reason how it got to the 8th of October. So, like, details you wouldn't know. Um, but, you know, you, you ask me uh, questions about what, what's in there, and I, I think of that story of, um, you're talking about the passion. Jesus dictated a book, a complete book on the passion. There's the passion. And he, 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 um, he brings into light this, this question of um, the statue of Christ is crying and bleeding in Bolivia. Her story is that she's just sitting in her room writing messages from Jesus, and, and Jesus says, in your city, there's a statue of Christ that's crying and bleeding. She didn't know about it, did not know about it. I want the blood that's taken from that statue to be compared with the blood on my shroud because it's time for the lies to be buried and the truths to be revealed. Now, part of my journey over these years is the examination of that blood as, as spearheaded by that prophecy. And we're almost there. When you get to read, read the book and the last part of it, we're at that point, we're about to make that, make that comparison with the scientific findings we've got from this and the Eucharistic miracle case. So, but, but nevertheless, he, in this book of the Passion, he, he ends it by saying this, and you can see the depth with which our creator is trying to touch us. I've taken as a symbol, a piece of wood, a cross. I've carried it with great love for the good of all. I, I have suffered real affliction so that everyone could be joyful with me. But today, how many believe in him who truly loves you and loved you and loves you. Contemplate me in the Christ who cries and bleeds. There and in this way, the world has me. So like that's like the ending of this book on the passion. Here's an example. Oh, I'll start with this message here that's nice. Jesus says to her, look at your pen. For me, you are my pen that I use to trace the symbols that express my words. What your hand writes guided by mine will remain repeated and amplified, amplified by others, it will fill the earth. And then he said, I've created the world and also the tree that was to provide the wood of my cross. I created the bramble bush that was to provide the thorns for my royal crown. I buried in the bowels of the earth the iron that was to forge my nails. When I came in person to visit my land, there was no room for me in the ends of the world. It was a cold, freezing world that night when I came to mankind. I came to men, but men did not recognize, recognize me. There was no room for me. And now? And then other things that, as a lawyer, I get impressed by, for example, when Christ in her dictation to her, um, talks about a definition. He says, who is a friend? A friend is one who inconveniences himself, who deprives himself of something or many things to offer them to you. A friend is one who will give up his time of rest for you. A friend is he who can in a moment give up the comfort of his, of his home so as to make you feel comfortable, loved and appreciated. A friend is one who leaves his land to help you save yours. A friend is he who confides his sorrows and joys, who's always transparent with you and, is always, and always takes you towards growth in faith and love of God. A friend is he who builds, who unites, who gathers, not one who tears apart, who destroys, knocks down, so he can sit on the top of the rubble. A friend is he who gives his life to save you, as I did. You, you know, a person who's uneducated, writing this sort of stuff, is, and, and, and something which touches your heart because it's from God, um, it surprises me in amazement that she can... Uh, impart this sort of information. And there's so many more. There's, there's, I'll read you this last bit on prayer. Um, it's a long message, but I'll just go to the last bit. Therefore, let your prayer be the key to opening the coffer of my heart that is not locked up, as you may think, but is always wide open for you. Pray generously, always and at all times, according to what your duties allow. Let it be a happy occasion as you are, as you are united to me. Do not Make me listen to the sounds of humorous words which resemble the noise of broken plates ready to throw away. Instead, your prayer should be the, like the jingling of, fi of fine glasses that I myself would like to fill with divine nectar. 
as the immortal king of the centuries and supreme lord of everything that exists, my power is made available for mankind's disposal. It is not only to ask for it lovingly. This is just showing you a, a tip of the iceberg of the of, what, of what's been beneath her. She has a spiritual director that's with her all the time. I've spent many days and months and uh, at different times over the years with them both. We've travelled. I've been able to follow her life so closely. I've followed her, make predictions about the work I'm doing and directions about it. Um, and also, and also, my, my friend. My friend um, Mike Willis has been with me most of those occasions. And on one occasion, we're thinking about doing something, and, and Jesus pops in the conversation and says, No, Mike, I want you to do it this way. I want you to make a documentary on the Eucharist. I want you to make it so that it, it will be available to be shown in August of this year, and I want you to make it available for all of humanity. We make a documentary on the, on the Eucharist, and... Um, a couple of things happened. One, we, we, we went to different cities in Australia to present the documentary. And because it's Mike Willisley, the big time TV man, who's presenting his documentary, and I tag along being also the person with him, um, people come to listen and not people who would not normally go to ch church, but just out of curiosity. On one occasion in Adelaide, a city in the you know, southern part of Australia, we gave a talk and we invited questions at the end. And a man with a white cane tapped his way up to the microphone. He said, I haven't got a question to ask. I just have a statement. I'm blind. But I came here to hear Mike Willis, talk. But I thought, I would like to see this film. And he says, Jesus, please let me see this film. Bang. He says, from the opening credits to the closing scenes, I saw every bit of that, that documentary in perfect colour. Um, and then afterwards, we went back and interviewed him, and he he um, he gave us uh, a beautiful interview about how blind he was and that the effect it had on him, the effect that it had on his whole family who knew he was blind. And when they heard his story, because they know he's for real, they all converted. But the interesting thing was that the interesting thing was that how I knew he had seen the film was because he kept raving about this particular young girl who received communion on the tongue, how beautiful it was. Well, well, I actually filmed that scene of the children receiving communion, and there was this shot that was perfect. I had the camera. In fact, what we did was we had the priest uh, redo the communion time so I could film it both front and back with, with un unconsecrated hosts so that we just get the images. And I got this shot of this child receiving communion. The, the focus was perfect. The lighting was perfect. The, the demeanor of the child was so reverent. Everything about that shot was perfect. And I had this thought, this shot is going to be the cameo shot of this program. Well, this blind man raved about that shot. No other sighted person had ever commented on it. So he saw that film. That film then was shown by EWTN on the Feast of Corpus Christi for many years. And in Poland, it elicited a response from one of the bishops that this documentary should be next to the Bible in every person's home. So it's like we, we had realised that this all didn't come from our own initiative. It was planned beforehand and, and the prophecy or the statement by Jesus to Cardia about making this documentary. Another time he popped into the conversation again and, um, and I'm filming it. Mike asks a question. Cardia sits down and writes it. And the person next to Mike so, Mike, you realize this is like Sinai here. This is like when God spoke to Moses. This happened 3,000 years ago and it's happening now. And it was like that. So his, her story is laced with incidents like this. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an, an amazing story. But, you know, as you know, the church doesn't jump on these stories because they're mystics and, you know, they come and go. And it's not until they've died that you actually would hear about them. But my role here is a bit different because I'm providing the information from which after her death, her, an assessment can be made about what she experienced and the magnitude of them. But in the meantime, we can benefit from my testimony and Mark's testimony of what's happened. They're different things. And I've put a lot of that in the book, uh, My Human Heart. Um, so her story is great. So many things. Um, um, can I tell you, can I, gravitate, can I deviate to a personal story? Please do, because one of the things I just wanted to mention 
what's so beautiful, I, one of the things that we're experiencing in the world today, because there's a distancing from God, there is a disconnection. So many people are begging to know that God loves them. And that was answered so beautifully already in what you said. I just, it's remarkable. Anyway, please, please go ahead. Some years back, I'd made a documentary on Carti and her mystic experiences. And I was due to present it at a, a conference in Miami on the Saturday. It was a Thursday back here in Australia. And I, um, I said in prayer, Jesus, the last thing in the world I want to do is fly all the way to the United States. I, I, I don't believe I've ever gone from Australia to the United States. Go to Miami. It's a long journey, you know. Change. Anyway, I said uh, I've got to be back in two or three days. I hope I hope you're watching what I'm doing because I'm only doing it for you. I get nothing out of it. And so um, I was packing my things to go away, and I had because I usually go with cameras and books and other things. My bag is heavy. I was going by myself, so I had to keep my weight down for uh, excess baggage reasons. And having had a citizens military training i was very conscious of how to reduce weight so when it came to packing my bathroom bag i thought i don't need a toothbrush this long i can just take the top part of this i can reduce the weight by half i don't need the soap i don't need the glass etc etc then i just bought a can of pressure pack shaving cream which was 250 grams about this high and i thought this is a bit silly to carry this all the way to the other side of the world i can just take enough shave Put two shaves till I get there, and then I'll buy another can when I get there. No one in the world could know I was thinking that. That was just my own thought. I get to Miami, we present the documentary, and I say to Cartier, Do you realize that back in Australia, it's my birthday? Because as you know, we're a day ahead of you. I said, They're celebrating my birthday today. Um, I said, Well, let's celebrate your birthday here tonight. So a group of us got together. You know what I was thinking, aren't you? Got together. And um, she walks in with um, a nicely wrapped present. No one else bought a present. I opened it, and it was a can of Gillette brand shaving cream. The exact size, the exact weight, the exact colour, the same as I left back in Australia. I said, but how did you know that I had to go and buy that now after, I, after this meeting? She didn't answer me at first, but then she weakened and said, I was in a shop and I said to Jesus, please help me to find something that Ron needs. She said, I felt a tap on my shoulder and I turned around and I saw shaving cream on a shelf. So I thought, that must be what you need. And the priest who was with her said, you can't buy that for a present. That's offensive. And she said, Jesus told me to, Jesus told me to buy it for Ron. That's what he needs. So what that, what that story tells me is, number one, when you're in your bathroom at home and you're talking to God, he's listening because no other way in which that, those things could have been connected. It was a way of him saying, I think to me, thank you for what you're doing and, and I appreciate what you're doing. It was like a present. But it was also a very important present for me because it, it put into my mind in a three-dimensional reality that God does listen to your prayers. There's no other explanation as a rational person for why that's happened if he he and my brain weren't connected at that point of time in prayer. And so I go to that bathroom many times saying, I know you're here. <laughs> Hear this prayer. But it's a beautiful story in the power of prayer. In the book, there's another explanation as to why he gave that to me. But these are stories that I, I tell because they are... Um, uh, they encourage people to be able to believe what the church teaches, that number one, God is around. He's an interventionist God. And he likes to hear your prayer and to relate to him. And all of this really came from the inspiration I got from that priest because he needed something. He needed that money for his church. He prayed for it. And, and I now in this work say to, to God in my prayers, you can do this. I can't. I'm doing this for you. You have to help me. You can do anything. It's, 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 it tries to put some three-dimensional shape about that um, statement in the Bible, which no one's ever been able to explain to me. And that is when God, Jesus says, with faith you can move a mountain. Have you ever seen a mountain move anywhere? But he must have meant something. 
And I see that in these stories that I have documented that um, people who have that faith that believe Jesus is there he, and he doesn't abandon you. But the more you put your reliance on him, the more you can expect he will listen. And so there's some of the, the products of my thoughts on those stories. You, Ron, have been used so powerfully by our Lord in a way probably most people will never even dream of. Spoken to by our Lord through Katya, given these very evident signs. You really have, though, you've spent your life doing this. I want to say, how does that feel um, to to be sort of spoken to so directly, so um, palpably uh, by our Lord in a way that most people never will, or never in this life? At first, I sort of stood back a bit and let a bit of reserve there to think, well, I can't believe this could be happening. But then after the progression of years, when things kept happening in consequence to prayer and opened doors for me in the examination of these stories, I realized he, he was there and that he was providing me with the opportunity, so long as I wanted to help him, to keep going with it. And I think that once you're on this track and you realize that our Lord is dependent on you, you can't step back. People think I'm a bit crazy that I spend so much time working on this and not, you know, my brothers go out and play golf, they go surfing, they will, you know, do all of these things that ordinary people do. But I sit probably like you in front of my computer working on researching things, uh, there's so much that I've done, but knowing that it's part of the trail that God has enabled me to walk towards a destiny to demonstrate, which I think will be in the end, that the burial cloth of Christ, the Shroud of Turin, is for real. It carries with it evidence of his passion, death, crucifixion, and resurrection. In my feeling, that will be. But the interesting thing is that, like St. Catherine of Siena, the promptings that Cartier has given, both to Mike and I, are important building blocks for the rebuilding of the church. In fact, one of the experiences that I was able to film, and it's in my book, it's on Under Earthquakes, was that I was with Carter in October of 1997, and we're sitting down at lunch, and I asked her a question, can he make the statue of Christ cry again because we need another sample, because we need more DNA testing done? And then Jesus pops in and says, you don't need another sample, but let me tell you something else that's all related. And then he says, my dear child, I want to talk to my children about the samples. It is not necessary to obtain a fresh sample because there's something that brings all my things together. The Basilica of St. Francis has begun to fall down, but why? Let us see the places that have been destroyed. The timpani? What does that mean? Afterwards, Cartier said, I don't know what a timpani is, but she wrote it down. And then Jesus continues, later the entrance was destroyed and then the interior. Did I not say to St. Francis, we build my church? What does man want? Does the head of the church want more proof of the truth of what is coming to you? The church that St. Francis began to rebuild was a metaphor for today. But today, the falling down, the destruction of this basilica is another metaphor. I need you. Please help me. Tell my children, this is the beginning of other religious monuments that will fall. Then she gets a pen out and she draws this drawing there, you see on the map there, it's a map. And then Jesus says, keep safe this drawing. So will be the chain of what will fall down. Now, when she wrote that, she didn't know that six days before there was an earthquake in Assisi where the basilica was damaged. But what's interesting is that since that time, in the years that have followed, nearly 700 churches either been damaged or destroyed in earthquakes since that time. 700, imagine that. Um, I went there and filmed uh, the, the, the aftermath of those earthquakes, interviewed people, and, and, and without um, knowing my story, one of the monks from the, 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 the church of, in Norcia, um, the St. Benedict's church, said, we'd have to be dumb not to know that God is shaking the church because he wants it rebuilt. Now, your stories on your program are all about the need for the rebuilding of the church. You know that. And we know the story of you know what, what's happening around us, that we're losing what was the original nature of our church. So 
that was a prophecy about the future. It was a call upon the Pope for the rebuilding of the church. I don't know what will happen in the future, but the interesting thing is when we look back at these events, these things that I've documented, things that I've filmed, I've actually filmed her writing that. So it's like it's an interesting prophecy. And then you go and you see all the destruction everywhere that's never happened before. There certainly have been earthquakes, but not the intensity and not sinking out churches. In one place I went to, I said, I can't believe it. Oh, we've got 12 churches here. All of them are destroyed, but not the civic buildings. You know, so there's a, there's a focusing of that. There's a, there's a, there's a story in there as well. Um, there's so many side stories to all of this, you know, but that's one of them. Ron, any closing words on this? We're going to have you back on um, to talk about the precious blood of our Lord, uh, particularly the Eucharistic miracles, how they tie in, in it's truly fascinating. Um, but any closing words on uh, Katya Rivas, the stigmata? We can't treat her as a, a church, a proven product. Uh, in time, it, I believe it will be. But the stories about her that I've documented are able to be viewed and, and, and appreciated for what they are. We know about the stigmata, where it's happened before in history. It happens again, and God uses the power of television, the most powerful, the powerful media organization in America, to be able to present to the world what he wants known, that he's alive, he suffered the passion, resurrected, and he's showing us what he went through and allowing us to be like Thomas. We're all doubting Thomas. Here we have the opportunity to be like him, to be able to play, to say ultimately, my Lord and my God. Ron, where can people get your book? Where can they watch your videos? The website is reasontobelieve.com.au and you can go immediately to the website, to the internet, YouTube, Eucharistic Miracle of Buenos Aires, Bread to Human Heart, Science Challenges Atheism. It'll come up first up under... Eucharistic Miracle of Buenos Aires, you'll see a summary of what I've spoken about here today of, of these stories. But ultimately, there are a number of documents you have made, books that I've written. But they're there and great to be able to look over as something happening in our times and being able to be documented, especially by Australia's most significant journalist. Ron, God bless you for what you've done. And uh, I pray many, many people see this. God willing, we have another... 28 million people watching your video because it's really needed now, probably more than it was when it was originally aired a couple decades ago now. Yes, it is. God bless you, Ron. Thank you. And God bless all of you. And we'll see you next time. Hi, everyone. This is John Henry Weston. We hope you enjoyed this program. To see more like it, be sure to hit the subscribe button below to get all the latest content from LifeSite News. Check the links in the description to read more and connect with us on social media so that you can stay up to date with all the latest life, family, faith, and freedom news. Thanks for watching, and may God bless you.